Hi, and welcome to The Final Wake Up. I'm your host, Madison Palika, holistic health coach, certified heart math mentor, published author of a number one Amazon new release, and creator of eBooks and courses that help you become the best you possible. I am passionate about bringing light to a world full of darkness and confusion. After becoming deathly ill, as well as severely anxious, and having doctors give me no solutions, I had to find my own way to health. I was mind blown by the things that I was finding, and I became obsessed with helping other people find health and happiness outside of the system too. I'm here to help you become happy and empowered so that you can also live a life full of meaning. You will love the final wake up if you're ready to dodge the traps that this world has set for you. If you want more, you can head to my Instagram page at madison.polika. And now on to today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to The Final Wake Up. I'm here with my second guest ever. This is Sam Lambda. He is at God Attachment Healing on Instagram. Uh, You might have seen already, but we did a live together. And we have just talked about, yeah, like attachment styles and, and my background with the holistic healing. And I think that we both have a really interesting perspective just on God and the way that people approach it or like issues they can have in their relationship with God. So I'm really excited to have Sam on here. Mm-hmm. And if you want to introduce yourself at all, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It definitely was a cool uh, first live. It was my live first live on my page as well. So it was fun. Um, yeah, so I'm Sam Landa, uh, currently a um, resident counselor at a Christian university. So that's been such a blessing. Working with college students is, is really great because, you know, as we'll discuss today, most likely, they're in this very um, key transitional period, right? Moving from their homes to what they believed all their lives and they enter a college setting and then everything gets challenged and they really get thrown into a tailspin where they're trying to figure out what do I actually believe, right? And I do see this a lot with uh, with college students in general, but um, being at a Christian university definitely paints a different picture. Um, so yeah, so I've been doing that. Um, I actually had a podcast before I'm changing it now to God attachment healing, but it used to be the Genesis of shame podcast and it's still running. It's just, um, haven't added any new shows to that. And, um, that one specifically about shame. I do talk about some attachment, but I had a lot of guests on that and hopefully I can launch this one, uh, starting next year. Uh, but, um, husband, father of three boys and, you know, they definitely, uh, make life exciting. So that's always fun. <laughs> And I also teach. I teach psychology courses. I just finished teaching one actually just today, um, psychology and and Christianity. So kind of seeing the clash between those two and also the similarities. So it's really fun. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you teach at a Christian university. What's it called? The the university? Yeah. Liberty. Liberty. Have you heard of Liberty? Cool. I have like just recently. Okay. I was curious because I went to Texas Christian University. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So not even really a Christian university. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You would think so from the name. <laughs> and Texas. Yeah. A lot of yeah. stuff there. Okay. Yeah. And then when you were saying like, it is really cool that you counsel college students because my faith crisis happened when I went to college where, yeah, mm-hmm. I had been born in Utah with these set of beliefs forever. And then I was suddenly in this new state on my own and 
yeah, I really did start to question everything. And that was kind of where my spiritual journey took off. So that's cool. So have you always been a Christian or like, what is your story or your testimony? Yeah. Um, so my dad, uh, moved from Catholicism into uh, becoming a Christian. And when he became a Christian, I was two years old. I mean, obviously this is the story that he tells me. I was two years old and he <clears throat> found a, a Southern Baptist church in Las Vegas. So he was, we lived in Las Vegas since I was two. Um, and basically I just grew up in the church. So I grew up Southern Baptist all the way through um, probably up until my mid twenties um, until I moved here to Lynchburg for school where I pursued counseling. Uh, my undergrad is in communications degree, made a good transition into um, uh, counseling. So that was that was a good good thing. I just didn't know what I wanted to do, if I wanted to counsel or teach. And mm -hmm. thankfully, God kind of provided avenues for both. So I'm really thankful for that. Being able to counsel has actually informed a lot of how I teach. So seeing that loop is, is really awesome. But I became a Christian, actually, I guess you would say age nine, this is going to be, you may have heard this story before, Maddie. This is going to be a kind of typical kid who grows up in church, becomes a Christian at eight, nine years old, you know, during his teenage years, kind of does his own thing and then comes back to the Lord at 17, 18, whatever the case is. But I was kind of always considered the good kid <laughs> just because I didn't create a lot of problems. You know, I was pretty agreeable for the most part, but no one knew what was going on in my heart during those teenage years. I knew and I knew what I was thinking. I know what I was, what I was planning to do and all that. But really the breaking point for me came when I was uh, 17. My parents had gotten divorced and um, I had my, what I call the Peter moment where um, after that, after seeing my parents go through divorce and seeing a lot of uh, difficult things happen to me and my siblings, I said, Lord, mm. there's nothing here. Why did all this happen? You're supposed to protect us. We're supposed to be a good Christian family. I'm going to go do whatever I want. And I had my cousins and my uncles and a bunch of different people encouraging me to go to parties and go drinking all this stuff. And the first time that I was invited to those things, I couldn't do it. I just, wow. I had this, yeah, I couldn't do it. Like I had this um, uh, overwhelming sense of guilt or conviction, whatever it was, it stopped me from just going out with my cousins. And I was really close with them. And basically the reason why I call it a Peter moment is because I ended up asking myself, Lord, where do I go? I mean, I'm going to go party for you know sex drugs alcohol and that's going to give me fulfillment like you have the words of eternal life and it was like that it just kind of hit me and that's when I rededicated my life to Christ and you know have been on the journey ever since obviously with ups and downs but I think that was the conversion point for me super cool yeah. and then yeah you mentioned that you were a communications undergrad major and yeah. I actually was too so that's kind of awesome funny. yeah um, but yeah, so you did like this counseling and psychology. How and when did you kind of tie these things together with Christianity? Like how did that path sort of emerge? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, like I said, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, so they had a very antagonistic view towards psychology. Ah. And my uh, my pastor, he actually studied psychology in his undergrad, but he was in the 70s going to school. And at that time, all you hear about was Freud, right? Yeah. And Freud had some very weird beliefs and had a lot of different um, perspectives that weren't good. But counseling has evolved since then so much so that we have a field dedicated to Christian counseling or Christian psychology. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of obviously coming to liberty. That's what I wanted to do. So his perspective on counseling was 
it's going to lead you the wrong way. You're going to leave the Lord. You're going to do this. And I said, I don't think so. Like I really have this strong feeling that this is, this is where I want to go. I don't know if I want to counsel my whole life, but I want to teach it. Maybe, maybe they can do that. So kind of moving in that direction. Um, I didn't think I was going to get accepted. I didn't think I was going to be able to move here. All the logistics were, were really hard to determine, but I had been teaching all my life. I mean, I, I worked in the school that I graduated from. Um, I had my own high school, junior, junior high class. It was really fun. So that was always kind of what Lord kept on putting in my way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the transition made a lot more sense. I initially wanted to be a doctor, Maddie. And <laughs> once I started taking chemistry classes, I couldn't do it anymore. So I was like, and I kept on doing it. And it, didn't, it took a friend to tell me straight up, Sam, stop throwing your money away. He's like, this is not for you. Wow. Go do something that you know that you have the skills for. You can do it, but you're doing this because you feel the pressure from family, from friends, from you know people at church that they want they want to um, you to be a doctor. Because in Hispanic circles, you don't have a lot of professionals in those fields. So that was kind of the expectation for for us to do. So I said, you know that that's not where my skills are oriented. And it took that wake up call to say, you know what? I've always done teaching. I've always loved helping people, and I do have a painful past that I can share with or, or walk with others with. And that kind of really led me down that, that path to uh, counseling and, and psychology. That's super cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, your Instagram name is God Attachment Healing. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of explain the background just to that name? Yes, yes. Um, I think we briefly touched on this last time that, that we spoke, that we did our live. And one of the things that we talked about was how people, Christians in particular, had experienced church hurt yeah and because they had experienced that they started to view god in a negative light as though it was god who offended or who hurt them but it was people who were supposed to represent christ and didn't do that Mm -hmm. and did a lot of harm and being able to make that distinction between here's what god has allowed or here's what god did here's what he didn't do and here's what people do because we're sinners um we need to make that distinction because people were starting to associate the evil things that happened with God. And it just created a lot of confusion, which affects how we attach to how we relate to God. So I started thinking about that. Like, you know, there's a lot of healings to be done in how we attach to God. And a lot of the content that we'll be discussing in a little bit addresses that how Mm -hmm. our early attachment figures, particularly or specifically our parents influence how we relate to others and how we relate to God. So the healing, hopefully, is that as you understand the way that you attach to people and attach to God, that you can hopefully, with time, heal from the hurts from the past. Okay, yeah, which goes directly into my next question of, like, what exactly even is attachments or attachment styles? Yeah, so attachment styles are essentially the way in which we relate to people based off of our early childhood relationships, um, specifically in how our needs are met. So for example, one of the the biggest research pieces of this is um, the first 18 to 24 months of a child's life, right? Mm -hmm. Their brains are shooting, you know, making all these connections in their brains and every single thing that they experience is sensory based, right? It's Mm -hmm. touch, it's smell, it's um, uh, um, sight, sounds, all of that is part of their life. So anything that can provide safety and security during that time is going to establish a foundation for how, how they're going to expect their needs to be met. So one big debate that always happens in, in psychology and counseling is if your baby is crying in the middle of the night 
should you let him cry it out or should you go and attend to his needs? And I you're like, hear both. I, right? I, yeah, I hear people all the time like, oh, like just let them cry. They cry themselves back to sleep. They get over it. Yep. And, and so that, that's one of the, the common responses that, well, you know, they're going to get over it. They'll essentially, you know, calm themselves down. The idea is to self-soothe, right? Yeah. But what you're doing is that they're learning to meet their needs. But what that also does is that they don't learn to depend on others, which makes them isolate themselves when they get older. Mm -hmm. the, the idea that you want to create for children is that if they have a need, it's going to be met, right? If they have a need, mom and dad are going to come and meet that need. You want to establish that for the first 18 to 24 months, because that in their minds is, I don't need to worry because if I show the stress, mom and dad are going to come, right? right? So for the people, they did this really cool study where they evaluated the um, the stress hormones of two-year-olds, of, of toddlers, and you see some who were dropped off by their parents. And initially the baby would cry and cry and cry, and then they would calm down right? Mom and dad come back to pick up the baby and baby runs towards them, even though they cried a lot at the beginning, but they came back very happily to the parents. So you're like, oh, that's interesting. They were crying in distress, but when they saw mom and dad, they were happy to see them. Mm -hmm. right? And usually a kid that cries at the beginning is described as, oh, you know, this kid is so self, not selfish. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, being baby too much, right? Uh, this kid's so babied, you know, oh, okay. mom or dad, right? Um, but then if you have another kid, mom drops off the kid and he he's calm or he doesn't show any distress on the outside. He goes and plays. And then when mom and dad come back, baby sees them, but doesn't really do anything. That child looks like, oh, you know, this child, he's fine. But when they measure the stress hormones, elevated stress hormones because they don't know when mom and dad are going to actually meet the, those needs. So they mm -hmm. become so independent that mom and dad being there or not being there doesn't really make a difference for them, right? Wow. So you see that attachment stuff. So one is secure, the one who's able to recognize the safe people, which is mom and dad, that they're able to turn to them and they're going to be soothed by them, right? And the other one learns, I got to do this myself. I got to distract myself with toys. I got to distract myself with other things. If mom and dad come, eh, that doesn't make a huge difference, right? But they measure their stress levels and the one who was able to return to mom and dad or um, their stress levels were much lower than the child who was playing by himself. Wow. So um, there's, there's usually four types. <clears throat> there's the secure, there's the anxious, there's the avoidant, and then there's the disorganized, right? So- I wanted to drop, I have my whiteboard in my office and I was going to drop, but I'll take it down and all this stuff. But anyways, so the way to measure this is you use two, two measurements. One is anxiety and one is avoidance. Okay. So a secure person is going to be low anxiety and low avoidance. Okay. So they're, they're not scared to engage people. They feel pretty confident about themselves. They know that their needs can be met and they also know how to meet the needs of others. That's typically what you'll see with a secure person. So the avoidance, interest. sorry, mm -hmm. just question no, real quick. Avoidance, does that just mean like someone who is like less likely to engage socially? Yeah, and, and one distinction that needs to be made there because you'll have introverted people, right, who don't really That's engage. That's what I was going to ask. And, and so all those characteristics and personality traits are also important to factor in. So when we're talking about attachment styles, we're really speaking specifically on how they relate to others. Mm -hmm. So they may not engage other people because they're shy or they're introverted, 
But what you do see is when they're in close relationships with people, those are the ones that you want to observe. Okay. So how do they relate to mom and dad? How do they relate to their siblings? How do they relate to their best friends? Right. So in any new social setting, most of us, you know, you know, I'm an introvert. Uh, I'm going to guess that you're probably an introvert as well. Yeah. Um, we don't really want to engage in conversation. We do it because it's, you know, it's, it's part of connecting with people, but you know, it takes a while to warm up, you know, and mm -hmm. that's just part of the personality. But what you do see is when you're comfortable with people, how do they relate in those situations? You know, someone that they're dating, um, a friend, uh, a parent, right? How do they relate in those relationships? And that's where these things really come uh, come to light. So the avoidance scores high on avoidance and low on anxiety, meaning that they're not anxious about meeting people because they've done things by themselves the, their whole lives, mm -hmm. right? So they're not anxious about anyone meeting their needs because they're going to meet their needs, right? right? And they're willing to do whatever it takes to meet those needs. So if they want money, Whoever I have to trample over to get that money, I'm going to get it, right? So they don't have any anxiety about hurting people because that's just the way that they're meeting their needs, right? right? So they're avoiding when you start to get close to them and they pull away. They can't have deep conversations. They can't really talk about themselves because I have to protect myself. I'm the, the description would be like the strong silent type or the yeah. independent person who has it all together. That's typically what you kind of see with the um, avoidant type. Okay. The anxious person is the best way to describe it is kind of like the clingy girlfriend or clingy boyfriend. They always want to keep in touch. And if you don't text me back within two seconds, something's wrong, right? Yeah. So this person scores high on anxiety and low on avoidance. So they're always engaging, but as they're engaging, they're checking in, right? They're wanting to make sure that everything's okay. Hey, are you okay? I noticed that you made this face you, you know your lip went this way instead of that way and i'm just yeah. wondering if everything's okay right it's this idea of anything makes them anxious right so what you find there is that the person probably didn't have their needs met consistently right you have to have your needs met consistently in order to be secure if they're not met consistently you don't know when your needs are going to be met which makes sense why the anxious person responds the way that they do right mm -hmm. they don't know how if their needs are going to be met so they're checking in hey can i do something can i not do something like did i bother you with that always back and forth so a very um very interesting mm -hmm. scene. and then lastly you have the disorganized style and this person has a mixture of both they're both anxious and they're also avoidant this is the person that doesn't really know what they what they want in a relationship. This is the person who's probably experienced some sort of trauma because if they get close, they say, I want you to be close to me. And the person gets close and say, actually, no, I don't want you. And they push them <laughs> away, right? And you could imagine being a, a partner or the boyfriend or girlfriend of that person or spouse. And you're like, well, what do you want? Like, yeah. if I draw closer, you push me away. If I'm away, you want me to draw close. So it creates a lot of distress in relationships. And typically what you find is some form of, of traumatic experience um, in their life, you know, and it's usually mm -hmm. someone close to them, a family member, um, a best friend, a past relationship, um, really, really tough stuff. But those are the four styles. Okay. So it was, there's avoidant, mm -hmm. anxious, secure and disorganized and disorganized yep okay interesting and then for each person is it usually like each person has kind of one attachment style or do you find that there can be a mixture of two or like even a little bit of all of them how does that work yeah great 
question. I, um, you have a primary attachment style. So that stems from your childhood. So your relationship with your parents, early childhood, through teenage years, through adulthood, like it kind of establishes itself as one style. And typically it's going to be anxious or avoidant. Um, there is a lot of research that's showing more people are secure. I have a hard time believing that because when yeah. you look at relationships, it doesn't seem that way because yeah. secure people are able to meet their own needs and also the needs of others. But what we may be seeing is secure people with an anxious person, with an anxious attachment, which is a pretty common relationship um, uh, type because the secure person can help the anxious person regulate, right? We yeah. talked at the last time about regulation. There's yeah. some people who you can be around and you could be really anxious or really um, uh, distressed about something, but being around this person's presence, the person who is safe and secure, it calms you down, right? Yeah. So you have a primary attachment style, but who you spend time with can alter your attachment style, right? Yeah. So if you're around an avoidant person and you're anxious, you could become disorganized. Or you could feel like you're the person who could bring some security to this person and you could become secure, right? So you have your primary attachment style and then you have your adapting attachment style, which means that depending on who it is that you're interacting with, your style may change in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love that you bring up the regulation and how you can affect other people because part of the science of what I teach is about how your heart and like your nervous system, it actually has this energetic field that mm -hmm. spans, I think it's like six feet out from your body. So yeah, when people come into that field, it's like these subconscious parts of your body, like these energetic things really are communicating with each other and affecting each other. So it, yeah, makes complete sense that like, if you have one kind of attachment style, but you come into contact with someone who's secure, them being regulated just on their own, would make you more regulated. So that's yeah. interesting. You, I mean, you feel the anxiety that some people have, right? And totally. you feel the security or safety that some people provide. Um, and you feel the distance with other people, right? It's mm -hmm. just, like you said, it's that you feel their vibe or their energy, whatever <laughs> yeah. they're giving off, you know? And it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, they did a study. Um, I forget what it is that they tested the couples with, but they had two couples sitting, a, a couple sitting side by side and they would hold each other's hand and they would present them a problem. And I forget what the problem is. I don't know if they have to solve something or they just ask them to talk about a difficult problem that they're having and them holding hands kind of provided the energy for how the conversation was going to go. So if they are um, a couple that gets along well and is able to talk, have good conflict resolution skills, when they held hands, you see their um, anxiety drop. It wow. was drop, right? No anxiety or very little anxiety. But if you had couples who had a strained relationship, their anxiety went up. Oh no, wow. I got to talk about this. And you can feel that. So their stress levels were measured and theirs were, were higher than obviously the other couple. So again, it's it's something that you feel. It's something that's part of this relational component um, in, in how we do life with other people. Yeah, that's crazy. Is it there is. is there a way to, like for people who are listening, even this is a selfish question, selfish question, because I'm just wondering myself, yeah. is there like some kind of survey or something that you can take to learn like what attachment style or styles that you have 
Because like, I feel like I can pinpoint things in each of them. I'm like, oh, that kind of sounds like me or that kind of does. But like, I don't, I don't know. But I feel like it would help my relationships if I could be like, oh yeah, for sure. My attachment <laughs> style is like this. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I only hesitate because it's multi-layered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's your personality plays a huge role. Your role within the family plays, I'm big on birth order stuff. Like really? I could usually, yeah, I could usually guess pretty well depending on how many siblings you have, how your behavior is, what kind of responsibilities you have, what child you are within your within your group. Our bigger families are a little bit tougher, but within the range of four to five uh, uh, children, I could try to guess pretty well, but could I'm not going to put myself to test like that. <laughs> how many siblings do you have? Let's see. I have two siblings. You have two siblings. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and how old are, well, I can't tell you how old you guys are. Um, how... How did you relate to your parents? Do you have a good relationship with your parents? I do now. When now I was you younger, I didn't really talk about anything. Okay, you didn't talk about anything. And what's your relationship with your siblings like? Um, I guess not to like give away the age thing, but we're yeah. we don't usually go through the same stages of life at the same time. Okay. So it's like okay, but we're not super tight with each other. Okay. Um I'm going to guess, and this is just, again, off the cuff, middle. Yeah. What was middle. that? Middle? No, I'm not the middle. No? So you're probably the oldest then. I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. I'm the youngest. <laughs> Man, I missed it. All right. I have more questions then. <laughs> no, yeah, that's okay. I was just curious. Sorry to put you on the spot like that. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's that's whole that's the whole part of it. I, I remember teaching a class and the, the ones that usually stand out right away, um, and there's more time, more interactions that you have with them too. So you have you're able to see more things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um the oldest ones usually come out the most. They're typically a little bit more assertive, they're typically a little bit more leaderish type. But you do see that with the younger ones because they have so much confidence because they've learned a lot either from the older ones or if they have a good relationship with uh, their parents, that can also be a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. But all that to say is that there's a lot of tests out there that can measure your attachment style, but you're taking that into consideration with your personality, with your birth order, with mm-hmm. a bunch of other things. Um, but uh, but yeah, you can, there are a, a couple of examples. There's one where someone actually has to score the the test so that they can tell you what kind of your attachment style is okay okay super interesting so yeah you have these attachment styles it kind of depends on like the way that your childhood went when you were born it can be affected by trauma so we've talked about how this affects like your interpersonal relationships but to go like deeper into you and your calling and your instagram how does this pertain to people's godly relationships Yes. No, great question. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that, that, that happens, obviously, if you grew up and you did not have your needs met or they weren't consistently, consistently met and the people that are supposed to provide that for you, the most important people in your life, right. Are your parents, especially within those first 18 to 24 months, if they weren't able to provide that for you as you're getting older, you're saying, if my parents weren't able to do that, how is this person going to be able to do that? Mm. This person that I'm dating, this, my, my siblings or uh, my, you know, father, you know, how are these other people, leaders, pastors, whatever, how are they going to be able to meet those needs? How's God going to be able to meet those needs? Right. Mm -hmm. So now it moves from your experience with your parents to 
Well, no one's ever met my needs in real life. Why would I believe that God's going to be able to meet my needs? It doesn't make any sense. Right. right. So it starts to play a role in that, in that way, as opposed to you have the child whose parents woke up in the middle of the night to meet their needs, to calm them down, to soothe them. Right. As mm-hmm. they get older, their parents are very present. They're taking them to their games. They're, they're just really present in their lives. Right. Whatever they need, they're able to provide it. It makes an easy jump from reading a scripture where it says God will provide all that you need because your parents have done that for you since you've been, uh, since you've been growing up. Right. right. So that leap is pretty easy to make. Right. But when you don't have that experience with your parents or with other people that are key in your life or mm-hmm. you have multiple failed relationships, it's hard to think that God, who you can't see, is going to provide that. And that's part of what I hope to help people with as they as they read scripture is that God is revealing himself. He's revealing his character. And sometimes and oftentimes he uses people to communicate that. But other times he uses his word. He uses prayer right? He uses different means to meet those needs for us. So as he does that, it becomes more and more real to us that God is able to meet our needs. Mm -hmm. There's a really cool um, theory that I wanted to talk about. It's called, um, one is called the correspondence theory, and one is called the compensation theory. Correspondence theory has to do with whatever style you grew up with, with your parents, is the way in which you're going to relate when you get older. So if mom and dad had an anxious attachment style with each other, you're likely going to relate in an anxious way in your own relationships. Why? Because that's all you've ever seen. That's all you've ever known. And that's how you're going to relate to God. So specifically with God, but the compensation theory says, whatever my parents lacked in giving me, God has provided 10 times, a hundred times more. And it's interesting because you came to the Lord at 19, right? Right, when you when you were older into college, right? Yeah, older. So one of the things that you find in the research is that the ones who are able to experience a compensation theory more are those who have become converted later, later on. Because everything that they lacked as a child, God is able to fulfill when they get older. Now, wow. it could be different when you look at religious backgrounds, because what the research looks at is religious background. So you came from Mormonism, right? Yeah. So, so you have some religious backgrounds. So for you, I think it may have been the opposite where what you saw was like, is this really what God is like? Is this something that God approves? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so it could be something like that. So for you, it might not have been like, oh, God's going to meet my need because you saw something different in church. But right. for someone who maybe has no religious background and they grew up as just, you know, non-converts because their parents weren't converts, they come to the Lord later on. It's completely new. I mean, this aspect of knowing God as loving and caring and faithful and just it just makes sense because they never knew what that was like so in that way God compensates for everything that they've lacked in their lives it just makes complete sense and they attach to God in a secure way because God is meeting all the needs that they have in the present that they didn't get when they were younger it's really really interesting stuff to look at which it brings up a question to me about faith like mm-hmm. yeah like for the people who maybe didn't have their needs met and like they find the bible or like someone introduces them to christ and it's like this is god he will take care of you all of this how difficult or like how long of a time would it generally take somebody who didn't have those needs met 
to be able to be like, you know what? I actually have faith in God. Like I believe that he will and that he can, and that he does take care of my needs. Mm. So um, one of the common themes there is repeated positive experiences mm. with other believers, right? Because the idea is consistency. If you, if your needs were met sometimes, but not all the time, then you don't know what to expect. It's just yeah. like, well, God may, may provide, but he may not. So it kind of creates this distance between a person and God. But if you start having multiple experiences where, you know, your bank account has $5 and you pray and the Lord provides a meal. Oh, wow. That was interesting. I didn't have money for that. God provided. Yeah. And you have another need, you know, your tire goes out and someone helps you on the side of the road to fix it. Wow. God provide again. You go to church and people uh, attach to you and they bring you along and they take you to where they go and they make you part of their friend group. Like, wow. Multiple experiences like that show you that God is actually present in your life. Right. And it will be in different ways, right? Whatever the need is, you know, it could be love. It could be forgiveness. It could be care that you need. And God provides it in different ways. And as you see that consistently, you're like, wow, God is meeting my needs. And mm -hmm. I never knew what this was like. This is new for me. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I experienced um, after my parents' divorce is that, you know, my parents kind of started doing their own thing. And people from the church started to kind of fill in the gaps. I had I remember having uh, people from church come to my house to clean it, and some sisters from church bringing a meal, and some men helping my dad to fix something in the backyard. Like I remember all that, and God, so God was providing in all these ways that for me it was like all, all these things I was needing were being provided. You know, mm -hmm. and um, I'm the oldest of four, so seeing how it was affecting my siblings and how it was affecting me, like it was very very different. Um. But if you have enough positive multiple experiences that show how God is providing, it could change your attachment style. Mm -hmm. And same thing with relationships. You know, if you feel like your needs are never met, but you have someone who continually meets those needs, you start to become a little bit more secure in that relationship. Right. That's cool. So it's um, uh, really, really awesome. So I, it's trying to expose people to as many positive experiences and teaching them how to see those things too yeah you know because sometimes you have people who are meeting their needs but they're like oh you know they're just being nice like they just discredit it and the person is trying so you have to teach them to be attuned to this is someone meeting a need right and can i look at those things as them trying to meet a need right mm -hmm. no one's going to meet all of your needs but there may be people who meet different types of needs and it's just right. being aware and observance of each of those uh, being met and then another question I have is towards the beginning of that, you were saying that it's about these like repeated positive experiences. And you said with other believers, how important is the community aspect in that? Like, cause I know I have a lot of followers who it's like, I come to Christ. I love him. I'm dedicating my life to him, but like, I have absolutely no community. So mm. is it going to be more difficult for those people to connect to God and have a deeper relationship and deeper faith or is it still kind of something where like God still provides in his own way, regardless of the you community? Or community? Froze up. Oh, you're back. I was wondering if you're still there. Oh, I think you're back. It froze up a little bit. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, you're good. Um, I, I think I missed the last part of the question there. You said if they have enough experiences with Christians specifically, or what was it? Yeah. Cause you had said that it's about the repeated positive experience with other believers so mm -hmm. I'm asking like on behalf of people in my audience who don't have any kind of community, mm 
-hmm. or even if they do have a church, like they're just not really relating with them or like having like these deeper relationships, is it going to be more difficult for those people to have a relationship with God? Yeah, it's, if they've been hurt, it will be because you need to have those experiences erased, right? So if you were hurt by someone in the church and then it happened again, it happened again, you know, um, the only way to kind of erase that is to have uh, positive experiences that eliminate that, right? Mm -hmm. So this does not mean, just to clarify, this does not mean that God cannot change you through his word, change you through prayer or change you through different avenues. What it does mean is that the road is going to look different and it will be harder because, as humans, we like to see the impact of what we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like someone who works out, you know, they want to see the impact and they give up after a couple of sessions and it's not going to happen like that, right? Yeah. So I think in the same way, when we're trying to build community, we try once, we try twice, we try three times and we don't see the fruits of it. And we're like, oh, well, you know, community is not working. No, there's there's a responsibility on our end to take take uh take those steps forward in trying to create that community that you need right um stephen covey uh wrote a book and one of the things that he talks about he separates responsibility as response like the ability to respond and an ability and he puts them together he says you have the ability to respond to certain situations Interesting. and what that means is when we're needing community is that we have the ability to respond by trying to create that community um within our circles right so there's a responsibility on our end to move in that direction and of other believers in the church because let's say you're securely attached and you have good community is for us to see those people who need community and meet those needs as well so it kind of joins together right so right. it's a responsibility on the church as a whole and a responsibility on us as individuals to try to seek out that community mm -hmm. and as you expose yourself to that and you have repeated positive experiences then you can heal faster. And I, I do want to clarify too, the goal is not to heal faster, right? Because healing takes time and, yeah. and the, the, the hurts and the pains from the past vary, right? Like what, what I went through may not be the same thing that someone else went through. And I might determine that to be, oh, that was much worse, right? But for them, it's what they've experienced. So when you think about healing, you know, for those who are listening, think about it as this process of not that I need to get this done fast, just I want to be walking that road. And if mm. you can think about it that way, then you just follow that destination or follow that road and it'll, it'll take you where you need to be. Okay, I have one last question about the community. Aspect. I love questions. I love <laughs> questions. Bring it on. Because, yeah, the responsibility, I think that that convicted me where mm. this is kind of where the question comes in is where I feel like you know, being in this community where, you know, in person, mostly everyone around me is Mormon and it's tough to find those connections, mm. but I haven't necessarily like really gone out of my way and taken that responsibility to connect deeper with people at my Christian church. And yeah. I've kind of put all of my eggs into this online basket where like I have this community through Instagram and like people, I feel like I know them and like we're friends now, but it's online will that be sufficient or do you really think that people need to actually like take the steps to get out there and meet their real community? Wow. Oh, that's a great question. I, I love that question. Um, so there's some research uh, that shows how we connect online. And one of the things, and I think you're, I mean, you're doing this is that people feel more connected online if 
they are engaging with other people, right? Because you have passive scrollers. So you have people who are just reading content, comparing. I mean, it just provides more time to compare themselves to other people. Yeah. And, oh, you know, they have this new update. They ha- so those people tend to be more depressed because they're not actively engaging content, right? They're just scrolling through. So it, it provides opportunity for them to compare their lives with those who they're watching. But if you're engaging and you're having conversations with people and you're talking about deep, meaningful stuff, you're going to feel close to people, right? You're yeah. going to feel close to them. So that feeling is really what you're what we're looking for, but it doesn't replace the the human touch connection part, right? And that's the other part of this of this um, um, topic is that attachment. Remember, we're talking about eighteen to twenty four month olds that their whole world is sensory. You know, it's very hard, and I know people have different opinions on this, but touch, good, healthy touch is important for relationships. Now, that's tough speaking about that in the church because the church has actually done a lot of wrong in this area. You know, there's been a lot of things that have come up in the church where from that. I'd be very careful when I recommend this or when I say that this is important, but you'll notice this in your um relationship with people is that touch is actually a sign of closeness, right? You don't just let anyone get that close to you, but the people that you do, they have a level of closeness with you. And that provides that sense of safety and security and comfort. So we want to be wise. We want to discern who's in that circle, but nothing can replace that aspect. So yes, we can feel close engaging people online and it does provide community, but there's also that other element that gives us even a deeper closeness, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I love it. So there is actual positive benefits that come from having a community online, but just like having the discernment to be, to not put all your eggs in that one basket and actually do take the responsibility that you have to be able to go out and make real connections. Yes, because you feel connected. But remember, the the big part of this is also, there's nothing more real than seeing someone eat their food and do so loudly why (laughs) because it annoys you right or seeing a friend lose their temper like that's when you get to know people for who they are online people usually see the positive sides of us right um there's some people who are overly vulnerable online and if they haven't healed through things and they're being vulnerable that could actually expose them even more it Mm. can actually cause more damage right But for people who are healed or who are in the process of healing and they're vulnerable, that can help a lot of people. But, and I'm sure you've seen it, Maddie, like there's some people who just overshare online. It's almost like it's just their way of venting and it's not helping because you can tell that they're not healed yet. Mm -hmm. So in relationships, when it's, you know, face to face, what the benefit of that is that you get to see people for who they really are. And then you have to deal or not deal, but you have to learn how to manage yourself in the midst of their flaws, right? Because we accept people not because they're perfect, but because with their flaws, we're seeing them as God sees them, right? They're sinners saved by grace, but we also know that we are the same way, right? So people have to put up with us and we also put up with other people, but that's part of establishing this attachment and connection that we need, right? I mean, the Bible in the, in the first couple of chapters, right? And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. We need connection, right? We need attachment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really important when it is so easy to just relegate 
all of your social connection to being online today. So that's a good, important reminder that I'm sure a lot of my listeners will feel convicted about just the same way that I have. (laughs) But yeah, again, just like thinking about people who listen to this podcast or people that follow me, it's these people who a lot of them either grew up in the church and had church hurt or they grew up in different false religions. Um, Mm. A lot of us ended up leaving whatever spiritual belief we had in our earlier ages to dabble in like kind of our own buffet of spirituality where we pick and Mm. choose things from different religions. And it's like, this sounds good to me. I guess I'll believe in this. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, now we're at this point where it's like, oh my gosh, I either I got deceived two times from my childhood Mm -hmm. and in my later years. And now I want to trust God, but that's difficult. Or people who, yeah, come back to Christ. And it's like, these people hurt me before, but here I am yet again at Christ's door. Mm -hmm. So for these kind of people, anything that you can think of, just like any advice for them to be able to, yeah, deepen their relationship with God and kind of heal those spiritual trust issues yeah yeah no that's that's um that's really good you know in when we we have those questions in counseling i always wish i had like a a a wand of some sort where i could just make it good for them because they're suffering so much and i know what that can feel like for people in that situation right they want um relief they want healing and you know the, the work part of it or the the part of patience and time is always the the difficulty and I think that's where we that's where we um lose sight of what God is trying to do we want to microwave the healing process <laughs> and the process takes time and I think you know one of the big things to help is obviously if you've had that distance with God it's likely that scripture reading probably hasn't been a priority and we get back to that because that kind of refreshes our minds right we look in romans where it says to renew our minds so we want to get back to scripture because that's going to tell us not what the experiences that we had the negative ones that we had it's going to tell us this is who god is right Mm -hmm. there's that i think journaling is also super important journaling about what you just read going through that and speaking honestly with god i mean it's a prayer but you're writing it it's powerful Yes. I've seen really this. I mean, you just have to put pen to paper, write down. You see your handwriting, it makes it more real, right? Super powerful. And then obviously just the the connection, praying with God. And and also the silence part, just allowing God to speak, you know, allowing for God to speak. And another part of this, I would also say two to three friends that are God-centered, um, Focus on scripture, use scripture to encourage you. Because again, you need those positive experiences. If you're around people who um, who either don't commit or don't use the word to encourage you or who um, are living double lives, like that's going to just create more confusion and more chaos. So those would be my initial recommendations because really the healing comes in doing life together, right? Um the Bible talks about in Hebrews about do not stop meeting together, right? I think it's mm-hmm. Hebrews 10, 24. Do not, why? At that, at that time, people were being persecuted and they were being killed. And what do you think was happening to the people? They were scared. Yeah. But Paul urged them, he said, whatever you do, 
don't stop meeting as some have done already, right? And they have left the faith. So you remember that you're like, man, even, even during that time, he's asking us to get together. Well, it would make a lot more sense that even now when we're experiencing these hurts through church, that we still seek to be together with other mm -hmm. Bible-believing, um, Jesus-loving, God-honoring Christians, right? Because that will be an encouragement. When you see other people walking in the same path that you're walking, it's super encouraging. Right. Yeah. And I, two things. The first one is that I can for sure attest to the power of reading your Bible and then journaling after. Um, I have these like daily practices I try to do every day and I never do them, at least the Bible and journal. I never do them out of order. I always want to read my Bible first and I always journal right after it. That's and good. yeah, there really is just something about getting your thoughts out on paper without judging yourself or what you're thinking or feeling and it just gives you so much clarity and so much healing you start to see things in a way you never have before and yeah it really is just like mm. a written prayer to god and it's it's amazing and then the second thing was yeah. and that... you also don't want to cloud your your judgment too right because sometimes we'll start writing or we'll start journaling our own things like here's what i think and then we'll read scripture and we mm. don't it's not filtered, right? So you start with scripture first and you allow that to translate into what you write as yes. opposed to here's my perspective. Let me see if it fits through scripture, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it it works. It has a process to it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does transform your mind and your heart. And then the second thing where you were saying it is important to have that encouragement from other believers. I just want to remind the people listening to this that you know, I do this podcast and I have my Instagram so that I can be that encouragement for you guys. Um, I'm always responding to my direct messages on Instagram. I'm never, I mean, sometimes it takes me a while because I have to keep up with my own energy and my own self-regulation too. But you know life, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> I do, I do get yeah. back to it. I do. I mean, this is my passion. I want to do this because I do want to further the kingdom and I want to be able to be here to help you guys who are listening to this. So if you ever feel like you need support, or you need someone to reach out to, don't ever be afraid to just slide into my DMs. You can send me voice messages or novels. Doesn't matter to me. I'll read them <laughs> and I will get back to you. And by the way, you know, to that, um, Maddie, is uh, I'm really uh, thankful for that. Um, you made that very clear on your page, which is one of the things when, you know, when I first reached out, I was like, you know, you know, Maddie has things together. Like she's, she loves Jesus and she's trying to get the word out and she wants to spread the gospel. Like those are, those are things that maybe I'm not following the right people enough of the right people, but <laughs> I don't see it as often as I would like to mm -hmm. from people who describe themselves as Christian influencers. I really wish I would see it more often, but, um, I have seen, uh, you promote that and present the gospel and be committed to scripture and challenging all beliefs. I mean, that's, that takes some level of boldness too. You know? <laughs> so I appreciate that. And I'm sure your audience appreciates that because you're challenging, um, you know, form of beliefs. And that's, that's like, that's a good thing to have. So mm -hmm. just wanted to say that for your audience and I'm sure they know it as well. So. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And <clears throat> for the people who are really called to, you know, talk to you or get in touch with you, how can people either get in touch or even like work with you? Like what kind of services do you offer? 
Yeah, so right now, um, most of what I do is counseling and um, and teaching. So that's kind of my my approach. What I'm currently working on right now, and I'm going to launch this probably in the spring, I think um, it's going to be more of the setup of coursework or like a workshop type thing and groups. Um, but I do want to do some one-on-one -on -one coaching. I think that's going to be, that's going to be super helpful. And I'm working on packages right now, but I'll be starting in this, in the January. So if anyone is interested, you can email me at slconnect08 at gmail.com and I'll, I'll send you that information. Or you can also do the same thing through Instagram. I'm at God Attachment Healing and, um, and then I'll respond to you there and try to set something up as uh we get closer to the holidays and you know they'll give us some time spend with your families and we can start the new year off right where if you've experienced this type of hurt how to process that you know and how to know your attachment style how that's affecting your view of god and how we can work on the relationships that can draw you closer to god as well you know mm -hmm. ultimately that's what we want right we want for you to know jesus in a way in which you haven't before and usually what happens is we have uh, those moments of suffering, right? Those moments of struggle that really push you to the brink. And you're like, where else do I go? And you look back and there's Jesus. And you're like, that's all I have left. Mm -hmm. And you go in that direction. You go towards Jesus because he continues to present himself, especially in the midst of suffering. I mean, think about scripture. Every single person who's read scripture or who's followed God has experienced a significant level of suffering. It's just the way to know the heart of God. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean that if you're not suffering, that you're not drawing close to God. It just means that God speaks to us very uh, significantly during those times of suffering. Like when everyone's abandoned you, when you have no one left, like God has always been there, you know, he's always been there. So hopefully you are encouraged by that. And if that is something that you're looking to, please feel free to reach out. Similar to, to Maddie, we want to kind of continue spreading the gospel. That's that's the goal, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, oftentimes that happens through these healing moments of, you know, understanding how you relate to God, how you relate to other people. Love God, love others, right? <clears throat> right, right. Yeah, I think that you're definitely going to be a blessing to a lot of the people who follow me. So yeah, again, I will put your Instagram and your email in the um, podcast description for this. So it'll be easy to access. Um, and yeah, do you have any last comments, anything you feel called to say? Yeah. Um, I think if you're, if you're in a moment of suffering right now, I think one of the things I would encourage, and it's the hardest thing for us as Christians to hear is to be patient that you know, that God is always working, you know, and that's hard because you feel powerless. We want to do something. And if I don't do something, that means I'm not honoring God. Or if I'm not doing something, that means I'm just being passive. Sometimes we need to stop doing, right? And we need to start resting and mm. in God's rescue or in God's plan, because we don't know it, right? He says, my ways are above your ways. You know, who, who's going to know my ways? We don't know it, you know? And once we release that control, like one of those deep breathing exercises, it's just like, I finally let that go. And it'll come back. It'll tempt you. It'll yeah. say, no, come on, do something, do something. You're not doing anything. Just releasing it and letting God work. And, you know, I think God will, you know, will surprise you as he usually does, right? And, you know, the, the sad thing about that is that if you remember all the miracles that he did for the Israelites and still after certain amounts of time, they would still doubt. 
So it's kind of the nature of how we do things. So we just need to continually remind ourselves when we want that control back, no, I need to rest. Mm -hmm. And allow for God to allow for God. So if you're in that season right now with people who are going to encourage you with God's word, um, and uh, and then just wait and pray and read God's word. And I think um, as simple as it sounds, something we make things too complex, right? We want yeah. to make things so complicated. There's this specific formula to solve this thing, but it's the simple, basic things. Um, you know, I, uh, to make a sports analogy, just because of those sports, <laughs> um, you know, Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time, he never focused on being fancy. He said, dribble, shoot, defend. That's it. Those are the basics. You do that, you become great. And he just mastered those things in the in the Christian life, right? Read scripture, pray, community. Those are the basics. If you do that and you commit to that and you continually invest in that with time, you see the fruits of that uh, come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I one of the best lines you just said there was, stop doing, start resting. And I... Mm. Love that. It reminds me of First Thessalonians 4.11. Just make it your ambition to mm. live a quiet life. And that really has been something on my heart so heavy. So when you said that, it just like, it just fills me with joy, you know? Awesome. Awesome. That's good. Cool. Well, it was yeah, nice talking to you. I appreciate yeah. you. Um, I have been watching, I think, a bug crawling on your ceiling behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yes it's a little stink bug i heard it i heard it It was over here and then i heard it fly i'm like i oh, couldn't no. see where it was at so. <laughs> well you know, what, what's funny is um this is kind of embarrassing but actually it happened to me as a kid so it doesn't really matter but we used to have home groups at my house my dad was would be you know he would teach the study and you know we'd have visitors come and so on and maddie one time there was a mouse that came out my dad's teaching the study and there's a mouse and one of the ladies she just freaked out she like jumps off she was on the couch she jumps up and she just could not take it I'm like this is so embarrassing so here I am a 13 year old who finished cleaning I'm like dad we should have killed that thing a long time ago <laughs> it survived it made it through I'm like oh man but uh but yeah so this bug thing over here I think it's made yeah it's over there now but uh yeah I heard it I just didn't know where it was <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm like the devil will get his distractions in any way he can I'm just been slowly <laughs> watching it go across the screen <laughs> uh, I'm glad it just didn't make like a, a what do you call it like a, a, a smell or anything because those stink bugs are, are tough I think it's only when you kill them oh. but either way yeah best of best of luck with that <laughs> after this <laughs> but yeah I appreciate you coming on um yeah this has been great and you mentioned that you have a podcast too or are you starting a new one? Yeah. So, um, so one that's still going, I think I have 54 episodes for it. That one, I, I stopped working on that one because I'm moving to the God Attachment Healing one, which I'll launch in the spring. Um, and I'm actually showing clips of it now on my page. So if your audience is interested, they could see some clips of it um, now. But um, I'll actually start it officially in the spring, but they could see clips of, of those videos now. Um, but the other one is the Genesis of Shame. So the Garden of Eden. There was shame. Why? Because we disobeyed God. And the shame has affected our relationship with other people and affected our relationship with God. So it kind of surrounds a lot of different elements of shame. What causes shame? Um, what does shame look like in relationships? Why does it create distance between us? 
So a lot of good interviews um, or Google Play, anything like that. So find those there. <clears throat> but hey, this was great. I, and speaking of podcasts, so I'll have you on as well, if you don't mind, because it would be cool to hear your story and also see kind of the work that you're continuing to do. So yeah. I will I keep you posted. Awesome. Yeah, cool. definitely. Okay, well, thanks for coming. I look forward to talking to you more and just seeing what happens. I look forward to any of my followers. If you end up talking with Sam or working with him, let me know. That is just exciting to me. Love to see how this mm -hmm. podcast affected you. Um, so yeah, if you learn something, share it. You can subscribe, Spotify or Apple. Leave a review if you mm -hmm. feel called to. And yeah, it was great talking to you. And I'm just excited to see where this relationship goes in the future. Sounds good. Thank you, Maddie. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you bet. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Final Wake Up. I hope this episode sparked a flame in you to march forward in your journey for truth, health, happiness, and meaning. If you want to dive even deeper down the rabbit hole, go to my Instagram at madison.polika. If you want to talk to me personally, please send me a DM. I would love to hear from you. If you love this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave an amazing review. Bonus points if you share this to your story and write what you learned. Tag me in it so that I can connect and see how this has actually helped you. If you know somebody who would really appreciate this or somebody who desperately needs to hear what I talked about, in this episode, please send this to them. Together, we can bring light to this world full of confusion and help people thrive. Thank you and see you next time.